0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Germany in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. This week we're going to start off by hearing about a German festive tradition. We'll talk about why Frankfurt has been named one of the worst cities in the world for expats. We're going to discuss why people in Germany are sometimes having to pay fees at their door when receiving parcels. This is something that's been going on for a while, but a lot of people are becoming more aware of as we approach Christmas. We're going to talk about a kind of new German word called Freudenfreude. Just keep listening and we'll explain more. We'll also get into why Germany's plans to relax citizenship laws are coming under fire. We'll talk about what that means. Finally, we'll talk about Christmas markets because Germany did invent them and they're pretty great here. I'm Rachel Loxton. Today, I'm here in Berlin with the local Germany's editor, Rachel Stern, and journalist, Imogen Goodman. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi there. How are you doing? (laughs)
2: Great. Pretty good today. Thanks.
0: Good. Okay, so... We are recording this on November 30th. It's actually St. Andrew's Day, by the way. That's a Scottish thing. But on to German traditions. And this coming Tuesday, December 6th, is St. Nicholas Day or Nikolaus. So lots of children put their shoes out on the night of December 5th for this tradition. Is this like a pre-Christmas, Rachel?
2: That's a good question, Rach. So Saint Nicholas was actually a Greek bishop that lived around 300 AD, and December 6th was the day of his passing. And so it's been a long-standing tradition in Germany that on the eve of December 5th, children polish their shoes to show that they've been good over the year, and then they leave them out so that in the morning they'll be filled with sweets like chocolate, fruits, nuts, um, as well as some smaller gifts, and the holiday distinguishes itself from Christmas in that traditionally that's been when Germans give their gifts so that um, on the 25th or the 24th they can concentrate more on the religious aspects of the holidays. Though nowadays, it's kind of a prelude to all of the Christmas celebrations that are coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so Nikolaus isn't the same as Santa Claus.
2: No. So Santa Claus in German has the name of Weihnachtsmann, the Christmas man. Very literal. <laughs> very, very literal, yeah. Um, and he is, in some cases, a sort of a lesser known, less celebrated figure than mm-hmm. St. Nicholas.
0: Oh, interesting. But the confusion is that they both look quite similar. They both wear a red jacket and have a big white beard. That's right. Although St. Nick
2: is a little bit less hefty in his stature. Actually, when I first moved
1: to Germany, um, I actually woke up on the morning of the 6th to find uh, one of those packets of dried instant soup in my shoe. Um, I wasn't really aware of Nikolaus at the time. So I kind of wondered if this was some sort of passive aggressive gesture from my housemate turned out not to be. um, So she told me later that she didn't know if I'd like chocolate. I'm a bit weird in the I don't eat much chocolate. So she thought she'd uh, get me something. She'd see me eating these instant soups and put it in my shoe as a little Nikolaus gift, uh, which is actually very, very sweet of her.
0: That is so lovely. It is So, so you, <laughs> have, <laughs> you have experienced the Nikolaus tradition with instant soup instead I, of chocolate.
1: I have. I, have, I haven't I have made it into a sort of every year thing, but maybe I should. Maybe that should be my, my new Nikolaus tradition.
0: Definitely. And are there any other traditions for this time around Germany imagine uh, yeah,
1: actually, there's the tradition of Krampusnacht, which features the evil Krampus, um, which comes from cramp and meaning claws. He's basically a sort of devilish goat man. Um, <laughs> uh, he's got horns, he's got a long tongue, he's got claws, and uh, Krampusnacht is mainly a sort of southern German thing and Central European thing. So it's in uh, in Bavaria, in um, in Hungary, in Südtirol mm. and in Austria as well. Given that he's kind of the evil counterpart to Saint Nick he actually focuses on the bad children so <laughs> if they've been naughty all year round then Krampus a legend has it will come and steal them away in his big sack which is quite, quite, quite a frightening <laughs> thing exactly.
0: Let's move on now onto why Frankfurt has been in the news this week. According to a survey by Internations, the financial capital of Germany, sometimes nicknamed Manhattan because of its skyline, is the second worst city for expats. It was ranked 49th out of 50
2: in their expat city ranking. What can you tell us about the story, Rachel? Yeah, Rach, so the only city in the ranking that did worse was Johannesburg, South Africa. And while none of the German cities featured in the survey did particularly well, um, Frankfurt did particularly bad. Um, it especially scored low in administration and housing and cost of living and um, making friends. About a third of those surveyed said that they um, are satisfied with their social life, and that compares to nearly 60% of expats globally. And people said that it was very difficult to find housing. When they did find housing, the costs were extremely high. Okay, um, how did the other German cities do
0: Do you have any details on them?
2: Yeah, so of all the German cities surveyed, Berlin came in for the overall highest quality of life. The city came in 31st place out of the 50 cities, and it was followed by Dusseldorf in 33rd place, Munich in 38th place, Hamburg in 45th place. So it also did pretty poorly as well. And no German cities made it into the um, top 20
0: Okay, and do we know which cities did well in the ranking?
2: Yeah, so the... First city uh, was actually Valencia in Spain, and Basel in Switzerland, which is pretty close to the German border, got seventh place. And some of the other cities in the top ten include Lisbon and Dubai. So, as a whole, warm, sunny places tended to do the best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and earlier this year in the summer, there was a survey that said Frankfurt was one of the most livable cities in the world. It got to number seven in this ranking by the Economist Intelligence Unit. And at the time, we asked some readers if Frankfurt is a good place for foreigners to live. And there was a real positive response to that. People said it was very international. It was described by one person as a mega city on a smaller scale. So should we take these surveys with a pinch of salt. What do you think, Imogen?
1: Yeah, well, I think if you look at a lot of the metrics that the intonations were using to score this survey, they were things that no German city would do well on. So being able to pay with card, having digital services, digital administration. So those kinds of things are obviously really, really great for expats to have. I know my major bugbear is not being able to pay with card most places I go. But at the same time, I think when you're talking about where you'd like to live, a lot of the factors are a bit more intangible. You know, things like, you know, getting out to the countryside, maybe just a vibe or like an international feel of a city. Um, and I think those are things that Frankfurt can offer. And it might also explain why the ranking and what we heard from readers is just so so different.
0: OK, thank you both for the updates. It's coming up to that time of year when many of us are receiving or sending parcels to our loved ones, hopefully filled with goodies like chocolate perfumes and socks or instant soup in Imogen's case. But lots of people in Germany have been surprised this year to find that they have to pay a fee when receiving a package, often on their doorstep. Imogen, I know you've investigated this issue for the local. Why are people having to do this?
1: This is something that is just a major headache for people, um, especially around this time of year. It seems to have a lot to do with a change to the EU's VAT rules that came in last year. So previously, all packages with a value of less than €22 were exempt from VAT when being imported into the EU. That rule has now been shelved, which means that all packages are technically subject to import taxes, though there are some exceptions. To make matters worse for people in Germany, DHL has also been slapping a six euro admin fee um, on any parcel that is subject to import taxes. So what this means is that Lots of people are getting a really nasty surprise um, when they receive packages, even if it's just a small low-value item or Mm -hmm. or gift.
0: And I received an email recently from a reader who said she received a gift for her daughter in the post to Germany from the UK. And she was asked to pay nearly 11 euros at the door before she was allowed to get the package. And she said nearly £9 was paid for postage already and it had the correct documents for custom declaration. So do, do you have any advice for... for what to do in that situation, Imogen. Yeah,
1: well, it does actually sound like in her case, um, she could have been incorrectly charged. Unfortunately, stories like this are really, really common at the moment. I think what's really important to know first off, especially over Christmas, is that there are VAT exemptions for packages that have a value of less than 45 euros and which are gifts. So if no money's changed hands, if you're getting a gift from family and friends that's under 45 euros, that shouldn't be subject to these import charges. If you're Parcel does meet these criteria, but you've still been charged. DHL say that you can go to them directly to get your six euro admin fee back. But for the customs refund, you would have to go to the tax authorities. In this case, the Zollamt. I believe they're okay with you writing to them in English, so don't worry if your German's not up to scratch just now. So the other thing to know is that when we investigated this earlier this year, DHL said that they sometimes make mistakes because of poor quality data that's submitted submitted. submitted electronically by the shipper or the country that the package is being sent from. So That means it could be worthwhile asking your friends and relatives outside the EU to make sure that they definitely tick the box marked gift on the customs form and that they put the value of the gift in euros as well, Mm -hmm. just to make it as easy as possible for the authorities to recognise, Okay, this should not be subject to tax.
0: Good advice. And this is a particularly sore point for British people because, of course, the UK is no longer in the EU. And we're having to experience this a lot more than maybe previously.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I I just remember the shock of finding out how much it would cost to send a parcel to the UK after Brexit. Um, I think we've now been put in a special tariff system along with Switzerland. And it's just it's way more expensive. Now we also have to worry about import fees. So I just Christmas has become a logistical nightmare.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I actually tell my family and friends, don't send me anything. It's just easier. <laughs> it's like I could pick it up in person instead. Definitely
1: easier, easier than getting slapped with a very unexpected fee.
0: One great thing about the German language is that it's quite easy to make new words up just by sticking words together. But the New York Times took it a step further by making up a new word and claiming that it's used by Germans, except no Germans had heard of it. So the word is Freudenfreude. And the article has been corrected now, but it previously said that finding joy in another person's good fortune is what social scientists call Freudenfreude, a German term that describes the bliss we feel when someone else succeeds, even if it doesn't involve us. Rachel, this is kind of funny. Can you tell us a bit more?
2: Yeah, Rach, so a San Francisco-based psychologist used this term Freudenfreude and said that it was a commonly used German term, basically the opposite of Schadenfreude, which actually is a widely used term around the world to mean the opposite, which would be getting joy from somebody else's dismay or their bad fortune. And so a lot of media outlets around the world picked up on this term and said that it was used in Germany. (laughs) And when the word quite literally got out in Germany, people said, hey, wait a second, this is an actual German word. And it got a lot of criticism on social media. But then a few outlets like the Süddeutsche Zeitung picked up on it and said, even though it's not officially a German word, it deserves to be a German word. And so many great German words, have basically come from two or more nouns that have been made up. And they (laughs) argued that we really need a word like this, which I guess in English you could translate to joyful empathy. It's not just empathy and the sense that you feel for somebody, even if they have bad fortune, but empathy and that if something is going great in their life, even if it's not going great in your own life, um, you want to support them. And so they said there's a lot of negative words out there in the German language Blitzkrieg, that, you know, people know, but this word needs to also be widely adopted. And so, ironically, it was a good thing that this psychologist made up this term because now a lot of German media outlets and Germans in general are starting to use it.
0: That's great. I love this word. I definitely think it should be included formally into German.
2: Oh, me too. <laughs>
0: and I was also thinking about that there are a few German words that have almost become more common in English. So it's not uncommon to hear a German word used by English people and presume that it's very well used in Germany. I was thinking of the word Wunderlust or "Zeitgeist," which. English-speaking people use all the time.
2: That's true, or in California, when somebody sneezes, people say, uh, well, in the Californian accent, Gesundheit. <laughs> and I did an informal survey of friends the last time I was there and asked them if they know what Gesundheit actually means. And they said, oh, isn't it just like, God bless you? And I had to say, no, it's it's actually health. And so it's funny how so many of these words are adopted into the language with us not actually realizing their roots. Absolutely.
0: Now we're going to get into something that's been blowing up in the past week in Germany. The German coalition government plans to overhaul the current tough citizenship laws in Germany, making it easier for foreigners settling here to become German and retain the citizenship from their origin country. In the past days, Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Interior Minister Nancy Faeser, who are both in the centre-left Social Democrats, have signalled that they are keen to move ahead to change the laws quickly. But there's been a lot of pushback this week, especially from politicians in the opposition and even from some within the coalition government. Imogen, can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, well,
1: they are only just Drafting this bill, uh, the citizenship bill, at the moment, and already the backlash has started. At the moment, it's the CDU or the Conservative Party who are kicking up the biggest fuss. They've historically been against moves to make citizenship easier and against things like dual nationality. So it's probably not too surprising that they're one of the major political forces against Nancy Faeser's plans. One of their main attack lines basically is that reducing barriers to citizenship will turn the German passport into junk. Basically, something that anyone can get. Completely worthless now. Not worth getting. There was actually a headline in Build, uh, the tabloid recently, accusing Nancy Fieser of wanting to flog off German citizenship, which was apparently taken from a quote from the CDU's deputy parliamentary leader. They're also quite worried that reducing the amount of time it takes to get citizenship will be damaging to integration. And they also say it will make it easier to immigrate into the benefits system. Both are slightly weird arguments because the citizenship process is intended to sort of facilitate integration, improve integration with things like language tests, citizenship test, all of that. Yeah. Um, and you can also get benefits while you're on perma- you have permanent residency, so not much is changing uh, in that respect. Slightly. More unexpectedly, some politicians from the FDP who are in the governing coalition have also spoken out against the changes to citizenship. Their argument is a little bit different, though. Uh, they're basically saying it's the wrong time right now, that we should deal with a back catalogue of illegal immigration, of deportations, um, before we start relaxing the rules. That's slightly more understandable. But at the same time, we know this is a priority for the Social Democrats. So they're really, really keen to get this done as soon as they can.
0: Yeah. And that's a little strange because the Free Democrats, who you said are part of the coalition with the, the Social Democrats and the Greens, they have been pushing for citizenship. They have. To be relaxed. Uh,
1: they, they, they absolutely have. They've been, you know, one of their main dividing lines between them and the Conservatives has been that they've been very pro-immigration, very keen to kind of get a, a new skilled workforce into the country. If I were being cynical, I might say that the fact that the FDP aren't doing too well right now uh, might be part of the reason that they're trying to set this kind of dividing line between them and their coalition partners. Mm-hmm. They might be trying to maybe poach a few votes from... From the conservatives and saying you know we've got these kind of liberal economic policies but actually we're kind of a little bit more skeptical on immigration we want you know deportations to happen we want to tackle illegal immigration so it could be that this is a political move as much as anything.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And why is this drama happening now because these plans have been circulating for a while now I mean almost a year.
1: Yeah that's actually a really really good question and I would I guess it's the fact that these plans are only just becoming a reality now. You know, they're being drafted. They're going to be put to a vote in the coming months, uh, presumably. When the coalition pact was agreed, uh, the changes to citizenship rules were basically a couple of lines in what was a more than 140-page document. And while that was a super big deal for us um, and people like us, um, the Mm -hmm. German media just sort of overlooked it completely. They were focused on other things, you know, bigger policies. Now that this is kind of coming to fruition, we're seeing that it's being picked up on by the opposition, by the German media. So that's why, you know, these plans are suddenly in the firing line.
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: And what else has emerged this week about the proposals, some of the, the details that the, these people who are against it have been jumping on? Yeah, so we know
1: uh, we know already, or have known for some time, that dual nationality will be allowed. That the um, time it takes to get citizenship will be shortened quite drastically. Uh, but what's new is actually plans to make sure that people from the. From the guest worker generation, mainly sort of older Turkish people, age 67 and over, they will be exempt from having to take language tests, formal language tests, and also the citizenship test. I guess they are assuming that anyone who's been here for decades would already have those things, you know, have have enough knowledge of German, of the German way of life to just get by here regardless. They have done for several decades. The other quite important thing that's come out is that the children of foreign parents, uh, whose parents have been here for five years or more, will automatically get German citizenship. This was a rule previously, but the parents had to be here for eight years, so that that time has been reduced. This was actually something Bild picked up on in their article on the changes, um, and they pointed out that this means that many of the Syrian refugees who came when they have children, their Mm. children will be entitled to citizenship automatically.
0: So trying to stir it up a little. A
1: little dog whistly, yes.
0: <laughs> so we are starting to see some pushback. How do you think this might affect the citizenship laws? Imagine, for example, could they be stalled?
1: Yeah, that's the million euro question right now. There is a possibility that the CDU and CSU parties could try to block this if it does go to the upper house of parliament, the Bundesrat. Mm -hmm. If that happens, it wouldn't be the end of the bill, but it could delay it. It could also mean that the traffic light coalition have to find some kind of a compromise Um, most likely that that would be something like maybe increasing the amount of time someone has to wait to get citizenship so rather than reducing it from eight years to five maybe eight years to six or seven uh, that's the kind of thing we could potentially see
0: let's hear now from julie Schaefer, who is a citizenship lawyer based in dusseldorf i asked her if she thinks the current proposals that we're seeing will make it through and come into law
3: I hope so with my <laughs> all my feelings, but I already see the problem. As I mentioned, the FDP is already starting to raise their voice against it. Some of them, not all, of course. Um, they had it in their election program for 2021. They even stated not five years, but they wanted to make it regularly after four years. They wanted to allow dual citizenship. And now some of their politicians are already named, we don't see it, we don't like it. It has to be first integration and after that, the reward of a citizenship. So I feel like this is a little bit of betrayal for their voters. Um, and mm-hmm. the other problem I see that, especially the Christian democratic parties have the majority in the Bundesrat. So when it comes to that, I think it will be a little bit like the Bürgergeld debate we had prior to that said, um, the, the Christian parties were always against it. They already stopped it in 1999. They even had a signature campaign organized against it. So I think this could be the issue again, even though when they have the majority in the Bundestag, it could be blocked by the Bundesrat. And then we will have to see how that works out.
0: Yes. And and how do you think the, the proposed overhaul of citizenship laws in Germany would actually change the lives of people. And do you think that it would also shift the culture around how Germany views foreign people?
3: I would say it would be a great benefit, especially many people are seeking dual or even multiple citizenship because they still want to be a part of their original country where they were born, where they sometimes grew up, or even just if their parents or family lives there, they want to enter. They do not want to lose their identity. And We had the experience as a law firm especially, that many of our clients told us we would like to go forward, we would like to be a part of Germany, but I still want to be a part of my other identity. And as I already mentioned, as a dual citizen, I understand it because you have the roots in both countries. You live here, you pay taxes, you're integrated, but still you want to be able to have your connection to home. And most people do that by identifying with their citizenships. So I would say it could be really, really good for us to allow multiple citizenship, because um, many people who are now at the moment hesitating due to be um, forced to give up or renounce their citizenship, they would be more interested in becoming also a part. And I think this could be also a motivation because you have um, something in front of your eye, which you want to achieve. And this is being part of our great country.
0: And in your experience of working with people, what kind of problems have you seen in Germany's current citizenship laws? Maybe you have some examples or things that have come up a few times with your clients.
3: So the main problem is the multiple citizenship. We also had requests from former German citizens who naturalized in another country, maybe Canada or the US or Australia, who did not know that when they became citizens of that country, that they would lose their citizenship. So now when they're retiring, they say, oh, I lost my German citizenship. I want to be a German citizen again. And those requirements Germany asks are really crucial, Um, especially they need to give up their citizenship, which they obtained. So, of course, there are some few people who are allowed to keep it if they match the criteria. But basically, it's either or. You cannot be both. So um, this is what we have. And people, they live in a country for a long time. They want to be a part of it. They want to have the right to vote, et cetera. So um, it's hard that Germany says, no, you need to decide. Either you want to be a foreigner or a German. So um, this is one big hurdle we had with our clients. Also, people living here for many, many years. I can tell my own family, my mother is French. She never wanted to become German because she always felt French. And at that time, she needed to give up her French citizenship, and she was like, "No, (laughs) I'm not doing it." She could do it now, but she told me, "Yeah, it's so much bureaucracy, and I don't want to do it." Especially, she lives here for over thirty years, and she would still need to pass a citizenship test. She would still need to prove her German knowledge, even though she has a good business here. Um, And she said, "No, I don't want that. I feel like I'm not being a part of it, and if I don't fall under any exceptions, I..." wouldn't want to do it
0: and and do you foresee any problems in future under the citizenship law reform for example do you think there's anything that maybe that we'd have to look at that might not work as it is in the system
3: now many of our clients are many people i met what does germany consider as integrational measure is it enough if i work um at the Tafel, is it enough when I do this? What would I need to do? And it's such an unknown word for people. And the worst part of it, even though you start perhaps the process in six after the six years and you meet all the criteria you need to meet, it still takes time. The authorities are working really, really slow in Germany at the moment. So perhaps you start the process after six years and after eight years you will receive... decision but after eight years it's a claim so um and this will be the same you will have the opportunity after three years to have a discretionary naturalization and after five years the claim so if they're not start working on how many persons are working in the authorities and to motivate and to train people for that those people who will apply after three years could also be waiting five years especially in the big cities
0: Absolutely. Um, Julie, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. Thank you, Rachel. Please feel free to check out our previous episodes where we discuss more about the changes to citizenship laws in detail. And we'll include links to stories in the show notes. Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's only made possible by people becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to thelocal.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners. That's at thelocal.de forward slash podcast offer. Listen, guys, it's dark. It's depressing. The world is awful. So guess what? Christmas markets and gluevine are going to get us through this time. And what better place to visit them than where they were actually invented in Germany? I've already been to two in Berlin. The sustainable market on Sophienstrasse was gorgeous and I would recommend it. What other markets should we be checking out?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of great markets around Germany known for different regional specialties. And one of my favorites is in Dresden, um, which is known for its Stollen, which is a sort of fruit bread which originates from the city. And that one is quite famous, so be prepared to have some large crowds if you go there. And then a lesser known one is located in Goslar in the state of Lower Saxony. It's um, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is embedded in the Hots Mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. And you can also only try food from um, local suppliers and artisans.
0: Oh, yeah. And I went to a beautiful Christmas market. It was in the, the foothills of the Ore Mountains near um, Chemnitz. It was the Annaberg Buchholz Market. I would really recommend that beautiful surroundings, like snowy mountains and gorgeous lights and things. And what about some quirky Christmas markets, if people are looking for something a little different? Well, I'm actually a huge fan of
1: Charles Dickens, so I'm definitely keen to go to the 19th century themed Christmas market in Verbann, in uh, Saxony-Anhalt. Yeah, it sounds amazing. People dress up in uh, sort of period costumes, there's theatre, there's arts and crafts from that period, so it's really apparently like stepping back in time. Another one uh, that's definitely on my to-do list is the Christmas Market by Boat, uh, which is out in the Spreewald, indeed. You apparently dock at the market itself to kind of peruse the stools, maybe have a grog or two, and then you get taken on a wintry boat ride through the forest and you go to an open-air museum. It just sounds lovely. My only worry is that I might get a bit of sea or spree sickness after stocking up on Christmas treats. So I think you probably have to be a bit strategic about when you have your glue vine and when you have your boat ride. I think that that's yes. kind of something to think about.
0: And Rachel, you were earlier talking about the Chris Kindle Christkindlmarkt in Nuremberg. Um, what are some of the treats that you can get there?
2: That's a good question. I really like the Liebkuchen, which is basically a type of German gingerbread which originates from the city. And then there's a drink called... uh and it's basically a glühwein with extra shot of rum and then it's lit on fire and the market is known for having the largest of these drinks in the world so if you want a great big flammable alcoholic drink to keep you warm leading up to the holidays then Nuremberg is the place to be good choice
0: that's all for this week. Thank you very much to our listeners. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering. Thank you to this week's panelists, Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman, and our sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please rate us and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. I'm Rachel Oxton, and we'll be back again next Friday with a new episode of Germany in Focus. Until then, take care.